Do you think I can get in trouble for doing this? Why would you get in trouble? Well, you know, the Bible, writing a new book for the Bible. Is God going to sue you? <laughs> I hope not. How to write a new book for the Bible, a new book for the Bible. How to write a new, write a new book, book for the Bible, a new book for the Bible. How to write a new book for the Bible. How to write a new book for the Bible, a new book for the Bible. Write a new book, write a new book. Can somebody please tell me why the Bible ends? I understand why the complete works of Shakespeare ends. Shakespeare died. No more Shakespeare, no more works. But the Bible? Who died? The Bible's a dialogue. We've been having it with God for millennia. And it isn't the work of a single author. Many authors have contributed to it. Um, God's still here. We're still here. Who decided that this conversation between God and us was over. When I was a kid in grammar school, I asked the priest why the Bible ended. I must have been a strange child. <laughs> in any case, he told me that the font of revelation had been closed. He told me this quite definitively. And I remember at the time wondering, even as a child, what fool closed it? Because the Bible, it was going somewhere when it stopped. But it stopped before it got there. And this is true whether your Bible ends with the prophets dreaming of a holy mountain or Jesus trying to realize that vision. But the vision that's there, the vision that is at the heart of the Bible, can be expressed very simply, even almost as a riddle. A magnificent, unapproachable God says to us, approach, come closer, come closer to me. And that closer is the impulse behind every book of the Bible. And we were getting there. Maybe not close yet, but closer. But then the book ends, and <laughs> it leaves out 2,000 years of the story. And ultimately, that's what the Bible is. It's a storybook. It's a book of stories. It's a book of family stories, and that's where you become involved. Now, yes, I know, people are always trying to turn it into a rule book. But sometimes I wonder if the people who think of the Bible as a rule book have actually ever read it. Yes. It has Ten Commandments, and they tell us who we're supposed to be. But it has tens of thousands of stories that tell us who we actually are. And, strangely, in all the best stories, the commandments are repeatedly and enthusiastically broken. For some reason, and this applies, I suppose, to the prodigal son story, God seems to love people who break the commandments more than the ones who keep them. Go figure. In any case, God seems more interested in their stories. What a shame, then, that the book ends, 
because the story of God's family, the story of God's prodigal sons and daughters goes on. It goes on in you. It goes on in your family. Because according to the Bible, God manifests endlessly in the lives of the children of Adam and Eve, and you, you're one of those children. You were born a new Eve or a new Adam. And if creation wasn't new when you arrived, it was new to you. Like Adam, like Eve, and all the Adams and Eves since, you beget your begats, you fight your fights, you say your prayers, and finally you go to sleep. You take your journey, and the world is saved or lost in you and your children and theirs. Your story matters. It matters to God. There's revelation in your story. How to write a new book for the Bible. In the interest of full disclosure, I should tell you I'm a priest. That little kid who was asking why the Bible ended turned out to be a priest. I suppose that, should, <laughs> I suppose that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. Um, I'm a Catholic priest. And the thing about Catholics is we don't know the Bible very well. Uh, we never needed the Bible. We had the catechism. And the catechism had the answers to all of the questions. So you could kind of bypass the Bible. I think the first question in the catechism was, who is God or what is God? And then it explained it to you. <laughs> so we didn't deal much with the Bible. When I started to study for the priesthood, a theology teacher discovered my ignorance and sat me down and said, you need to read this thing. And I read it start to finish, cover to cover. And I discovered that the Bible was, as a matter of fact, a revelation. I loved it. I loved the story. The creation of the universe, Adam, Eve, Paradise Lost, the first murder, banishment Noah, the ark, the destruction of all humanity, a new covenant. And that just made the first five chapters. But the moment when it hit me, what the Bible was really about came a little bit later. Genesis chapter 23. And it's the death of Abraham's wife, Sarah. And her death shocked me. I should have been prepared. She was 127 years old. But I felt a great loss because I had fallen in love with Sarah. I fell in love with her the instant that she laughed. I don't think anybody had laughed before in the Bible. I think her laughter is the first in the book, and she picked an odd time. God had just promised her that even though she was 80, she would have the child she and Abraham had always desired. They had longed for it. And this is the sacred promise on which the entire Bible is founded. And at this most sacred moment, Sarah laughed. Now, there are millions of responses to God in the Bible, but I think Sarah's laughter might be the best. Sarah wasn't saying no. She wasn't turning God down. She was game. She just thought the whole thing was preposterous, which, of course, it was. And her laughter 
makes God stop and ask, is anything too wonderful for God? And evidently nothing was, because shortly thereafter, with a little bit of help from Abraham, Sarah conceives. And at 80-plus, she becomes a first-time mother. She says, God has brought me joy and laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And there I was, millennia later, laughing with Sarah. Everything in the Bible leads up to these, these two cranky people, these two wonderful people, Abraham and Sarah, idiosyncratic. And Sarah's death moved me. We know all the details about the planning of Sarah's funeral. We know the where, we know the buying of the land, we know the grief. And the reason this affects me and the reason the story becomes personal is because yesterday I buried my mother. And the story of my life takes a turn, stops dead, makes for a pause and makes me ask a question. Where's the revelation? Where's the meaning? What has all of this, this woman's life, this woman's death, what has it meant? Not to burden you with too much information about myself, but I'm also a writer. I write theater, I write for theater, and I write screenplays. Um, but as a writer, occasionally the Bible embarrasses me. Sometimes I think it begins with bad anthropology and it ends with bad science fiction. At least the Christian Bible does. I mean the apocalypse. But it has this going for it. The Bible says God isn't unconcerned. God isn't a deity sitting up on Olympus or some nymph running around the woods occupied just by the cycle of the seasons. The Bible says our lives matter. The details matter. If you want to see God, says the book, look at your family story. Look at the specific unrepeatable details and really look. And don't just look at the good stuff. There are two ways in the Bible to make something holy. You can cover it in gold and linen like the Ark of the Covenant, or you can deface it, face the ugliness, face the cross. But either way, it says, look, look there. Look at that thing set apart. Notice it. God cares about that. That's holy. My parents were once magnificent living animals, and they're now decaying vegetable matter. I will be the same before long, and you too. I want to believe this matters. I want to believe the before and the after and the transition in between matter. And I want to believe that God is right to care about such things. I want to write a new book for the Bible. Write a new book for the Bible. So as I sit here in Mom's too quiet apartment, where I sat with Mom just days ago, of all this stuff, of all the junk, of all the things, what do I want to save? My parents never really had much of value. 
the temptation is just to throw everything away. But you know what? The one thing I think I should save is the stories. Like the people in the Bible save stories. Like Abraham's story, like Sarah's story. Like Jesus's story. The only reason we know about Jesus was because friends, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote down the events. We have been careless of our stories for the past 2,000 years. It's time to change that. It's time for a new book for the Bible. And not only that, we should fill in the gap of 2,000 years since the Bible ended and now. If you could pick a book, any book, that described the continuing conversation with God over the last 2,000 years, one not already in the Bible, what book would you pick? And we, we should consider more than just theological works. It isn't only in Aquinas and Luther and Mohammed in the Midrash. It's not just in religion works, works of religion, that the conversation with God goes on. It goes on in histories, novels, diaries, biographies, films. Huh. Could we add a film to the Bible? <laughs> I like that idea. We could use a new book of Psalms. Maybe St. Francis's Canticle of the Sun or Bach's B minor Mass, Duke Ellington's Sacred Concertos. Frankly, some of the Bible is pretty funny. What about a Canterbury tale or two? Or something about a milkman written by Shola Malekum. And then there are some things that need to be corrected. Some things that are flat out wrong. Certainly St. Paul's statement, slaves be obedient to your masters, has stayed unchallenged within the Bible for far too long. What about adding Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail? That would fit with the letters of Paul. Or Frederick Douglass's autobiography. Then there's the other thing. Women. We've left out fully 50% of the possible revelation that we could have had by not having any books written by women. And that brings me to the book that I would add to the Bible. Personally, I would add the Diary of Anne Frank. And on my desk, it sits right next to my Bible. Anne's diary, like the Bible, is a family story. It's a small story. But like the Pentateuch, like the Gospels, it reveals on every single page the inexhaustible depths of the human soul. And at the same time, it reveals just how much revelation we still need. I think it would fit very comfortably in the Bible. We'd have to limit ourselves. We don't want to overwhelm the existing book. I think if we had 20 books one for every hundred years or so, we ought to be able to fulfill our obligation of catching us up with the story. And things will get easier after we fill that gap. We can then, if we find a method, routinely update the book every hundred years or so until the last judgment, and I hope by the last judgment, the book will finally be complete. In the last few days, I've heard hundreds of stories about my mother and my father. Surprisingly, I've heard many that I've never heard before, and this is a surprise because mom and dad were, in very different ways, really gifted storytellers. True fact, neighbors used to come to our apartment, 
just to sit here at this kitchen table, just to hear them talk. And as I sit here, I think, I will save the stories. And maybe stories are the only things remaining from someone's life that are worth saving. So I take a vow here in your presence. In the next year, I will write my parents' stories as best I can. I will honor them as Abraham and Sarah's children honored them. As Jesus' friends honored him, I will save the stories. Together, their lives spanned most of a century. As best I can, I will save a hundred years of stories. And maybe that's the method we should use to keep the Bible up to date. Maybe, after we've managed to catch the Bible up on the last 2,000 years, maybe every hundred years or so, every family can be invited to submit a book of stories. The stories of that family's journey with God through the events, large and small, of their time. And even if every family's story cannot be added to everyone's Bible, perhaps every hundred years, each family can add a new book to the family Bible. Please accept the following submission on behalf of my family. How to write a new book for the Bible, a new book for the Bible. How to write a new write a book, book for the Bible, a new book for the Bible. End of episode one of How to Write a New Book for the Bible. Written by Bill Kane. Produced by Denise Himetalu. Music by Peter McLaughlin. Episode two, In the Beginning. <laughs>